0: Today's episode of Market Talk is brought to you by GrowMark FS. Keeping up on the latest in ag is a challenge, to say the least. But there are experts nearby ready to help. You'll find them at your local FS. You can trust them to bring you customized agronomic grain and energy solutions born of the latest thinking. That's because FS specialists receive continuous training that keeps them current on the latest trends, practices, and technologies so you'll get local expertise that's both exceptional and up-to-date. Visit fssystem.com to learn how FS is bringing you what's next.
1: Bringing you the ag information you need. This is Market Talk, produced by the American
0: Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen. And well, we saw a mostly quiet market day on Friday as we wrapped up the week. A bit of profit taking in grains, especially in soybeans. Welcome to Market Talk. Always a pleasure to be here with you. Thanks for making us part of your day. I'm your host, Jesse Allen, as we are gearing up to talk about the markets here and a few news headlines as well impacting rural America on the show today. Great to have you with us. Again, a fairly quiet day on Friday as we wrapped up the week, which has been full of headlines and some market movement. We saw a little bit of profit taking, but overall, again, things just were kind of calm in the grain and oil seed trade. Livestock as well bit of uh, firmness seen there. We have plenty to discuss. We have some economic data we got out as well. We're going to dive into the markets as a whole coming up here on the show today. Going to be joined by a new voice, a new analyst joining us, Jeff Hogadorn with Professional Ag Marketing will be our guest here coming up at segment two and three today. We look forward to uh, getting his thoughts and insight and picking his brain as to what he is seeing in this market trade. I know Jeff as well as a a big livestock guy, so We might uh, dive in a little bit more on the livestock front here on today's show. Also, we're going to take a look at some of the news headlines in agriculture. We'll do that coming up here at the end of the show today. Some of the concerns around egg prices from consumers. HPAI being blamed as the cause of the rise in egg prices. We're going to talk about that story and more coming up here later in the show. Let's talk markets though right away with Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist at StoneX. I talked to Arlen around mid-session on Friday. We start our talk uh, looking at the grains and some of the quietness there. We talk a little bit in the wheat market also dive into some of the economic data we got out friday morning and a few thoughts in livestock here is that commentary with arlen suderman chief commodities economist at stone x
2: yeah i think the key to this market first of all is look at the perspective we're coming up on a weekend and corn soybeans and wheat all saw gains this week um corn and soybean prices were pushed up to levels that are historically pretty good prices and uh, look pretty good on the charts, getting up there near some resistance levels. So traders kind of stepping back a little bit and say, hey, let's consolidate into the weekend. Now, the real question is on soybeans. We have a massive crop being harvested in Brazil, but they're just getting started. That crop's slow to mature. Rains are delaying harvest a little bit. Not a problem yet. We'll learn a lot in the next 10 days if that harvest, those harvest delays become more significant and extend a U.S. export season. That has Chinese buyers a little bit nervous, probably responsible for some of the strength we saw the last couple of days in the soybean complex. If there's no delays that beans hit, then we'll probably see that business shift pretty quickly, demand for U.S. beans drop off rather quickly. If not, we could see things tighten up further here in the United States. Argentine crops, small damage, but recent rains have stopped the deterioration there allowed them to get the rest of the acres planted.
0: On the wheat markets, I know yesterday we saw plenty of uh, strength there, maybe in response to a lot of the news out of the Black Sea region, but also I know that weather forecast in the U.S. going to bring a lot of cold air down into parts of Kansas and parts of winter wheat country, and I know that could have an impact on some of that dormant winter wheat if the snow cover is uh, not very good there, Arlen.
2: Yeah, exactly right. More cold air coming down, and that's providing a little bit of support here. This is a wheat market that broke through the top of a descending channel on the charts that really held things for the last several months um, and did so in an environment where the speculative funds have some very large short or sold positions. And there's not a lot of traders this time of year to take the opposite side if they would decide to exit their positions. So we're at a key spot for this market right now. Going into the weekend, we're seeing some consolidation, Chicago lower, Kansas City higher, and some intermarket spreading. But overall, it's going to be real interesting to see how this plays out next week when traders return.
0: Arlen, I know as well we've had a uh, slew of economic data out the last couple of days. And looking at the Consumer Sentiment Index out on Friday, what are you seeing with that and some of the other uh, economic numbers that we've gotten out here on Friday?
2: Yeah, consumer sentiment going up. It's still at relatively low levels, but it's starting to curve higher as consumers start to adjust. Lower gasoline prices in December and January, for the most part, have really helped that consumer sentiment to improve. Uh, We also saw that the uh, pending home sales index, which is a measure of the health of the housing industry, that saw an increase in December, the data released today. And another decline was expected. And also, a backward adjustment in November data up. And basically, what we're seeing now is mortgage rates are starting to creep back lower. The consumers adjusting to, quote unquote, the new normal for mortgage rates and coming back to the housing market, especially in the South and in the West. And that's raising hopes in the industry that we put the bottom in the housing sector.
0: And Arlen, in the livestock trade, uh, working through the day, starting a little lower, getting a little bit of strength in here. Any thoughts in the protein sector as we wrap up the week?
2: Yeah, we're on the firmer side in the cattle market. Um, hog market is mixed with the is weaker. We still have some oversupply of product there, some weak product prices. And cash market starting to show signs of stability. But we've liquidated a lot of the fund ownership in that market so that's a market starting to stabilize a little bit cattle though we saw a little bit of sales in the cash market in the northern feedlot district a little bit weaker yesterday we're still looking for more action in the south generally expecting steady to weaker Uh, we are seeing steer weights come down we're seeing some more bad weather moving in that's going to hurt performance tightening up supplies Cow slaughter remains quite strong, and latest week reported 79,000 head, continuing a trend of contracting the size of the cow herd, which is going to tighten up supplies considerably over the next couple of years.
0: And again, that is comments with Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist at StoneX. Always appreciate his time and insight joining us uh, typically each and every day here on the program, or at least most days here on the program. We appreciate him joining us once again. Well, we also are watching a few stories uh, throughout agriculture, a lot of uh, emphasis on what's going on in South America right now. A new report out, uh, industry economists are expecting the harvest of a large soybean crop in Brazil in the next 30 to 45 days. That's no secret. Well, Ag Resource predicting USDA and others will be forced to raise Brazilian soybean production estimates by 1 million to 3 million tons or 37 million to 110 million bushels. A crop of at least 150 million tons versus 129.5 last year is guaranteed, according to Ag Resources Research. Now, their final yield estimate in Mato Grosso, by far the country's largest producing state, is 60.3 bushels per acre after revisiting possible harvest losses and disease pressure. This is 8 bushels per acre, more than Brazil's CONAB current forecast. Now There will be yield loss in the far south of Brazil, but yield gains in Mato Grosso and surrounding states will more than offset any yield hit, according to the report. Harvest losses will likely result from new incurable diseases, but there is very little doubt a massive Brazilian soybean crop will be available to the global marketplace in the coming weeks. And some of the things Arlen talked about as well, We've had some nervousness from Chinese soybean buyers with the delays in the harvest in Brazil, but it sounds like that massive crop is still on track. It's going to be harvested here relatively quickly. All right, coming up next, we're gonna dive into the markets more. Jeff Hogador with Professional Ag Marketing. He joins us next. Back with more market talk right after this.
1: Market information that matters to you on Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen.
0: Well, as we wrapped up the trading week on Friday, we had a fairly quiet trade throughout grains and livestock. A little bit of profit taking, it appeared, especially in soybeans. But overall, fairly quiet way to wrap up the trade. And we definitely have plenty of things we're keeping an eye on and watching and plenty to discuss here on the show today. Joining us, a new voice here on Market Talk. Jeff Hogadorn with Professional Ag Marketing is with us. Jeff, great to have you on the show, sir. I hope you're doing well. Thanks for joining us today.
3: Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, Looking forward to good discussion and see what kind of uh, ideas we can come up here in the tail end of the week.
0: Yeah, as we wrap up the week on Friday, Jeff, as I kind of alluded to, fairly quiet. I, I know corn, wheat, relatively firm heading to the weekend. Soybeans, maybe a little more profit taking there. It just felt like kind of some consolidation type of trade ahead of the weekend here with Weather headlines we're watching out of South America, maybe a little worry from Chinese buyers this past week about the delay to the Brazil harvest and obviously the crop concerns in Argentina. I know we've had other headlines in the market, we've had economic data, plenty of stuff, but overall just felt like a fairly quiet consolidation, slight profit taking type of day on Friday across grains and oil seeds. Would you agree with that? What did you see?
3: Yeah, so that's what I kind of chalked it up to for the most part was, uh, you know some profit taking you know like them soybeans it didn't we didn't have a lot of updates this week obviously but a pretty big update yesterday so it's pretty easy to fall back down again here um today and you know you go over into the corn and and the wheat and you know one thing that's kind of been halfway impressing me is that winter wheat um i know you know temperatures wise boy we are looking for an ugly one going into next week. So that, that thing's been building a little bit of courage. Um, so that that Kansas City in the winter, we've been kind of impressive, maybe helping this corn market out a little bit too. And, you know, I don't want to just ramble on and on here, <laughs> but the, you know, one of the things I think you look at um, that I've been thinking a lot about in the past week or two is the price action after that last uh, WASDE report, Mm-hmm. you know to me you really couldn't have gotten a lot more bullish than that and you know, bring up that chart once and take a peek it's we really couldn't do anything very special coming out of there you know i i would have thought we would have been able to push back towards that 6.95 seven dollar area um mm-hmm. you know on the uh march for an example here and it just it's kind of been a struggle Bust there and it's, uh, so I, I think that's really interesting. There's some things to learn, just w- price action after a, a big report, you know.
0: Well, and to stay on the corn market there, I think that's a great point you bring up. You know, we got out of that report. We couldn't really be any more bullish as you alluded to. And I, you know, look at old crop corn, that 680 range here, wrap it up the week, new crop, you know, we're somewhere 580 to 6, you know, give or take. Uh, it just feels like, we've been saying that price for quite some time now, you know, give or take a few cents here or there, but we just can't seem to bust out of that kind of sideways choppy range here in this corn market, whether we're talking old or new crop,
3: Jeff. Yeah, no, that's that's a fair point. Um, you know, and it, it kind of brings us over to the next discussion, and or maybe we're jumping way ahead of ourselves, you know, as far as what do we do with these markets right now? And mm-hmm. I know there's some, folks out there are thinking about grabbing some new crop coverage. I know there's some um, advisors uh, out there thinking about grabbing some new crop coverage on some corn, and I'm really struggling to get my head around that, to be quite honest with you. I, I think some of it's going to depend where you start from. Um, if you've if you've got some work done, you know, last summer, um, maybe early fall type of stuff, there are some opportunities to be in that, you know, six and a quarter or something, 650 maybe type of range. And I'm struggling to chase this market now. I I get it. You know, everybody's looking at the demand situation um, mm-hmm. on the exports and um, ethanol's nothing to really write home about either. Um, but I just think you're you're so close to the spring season here. Even though we can't seem to really get anything too special, we can't seem to bust out of this Um, top side which is you know narrower than what i would have anticipated here two weeks ago even like you're alluding to um i just think you're you're close enough to the growing season where you you, i think you gotta kind of take a chance on that in my mind and you know i guess i'm not in my opinion the news kind of shifts right Mm -hmm. i like to think of it as and right now we're we're all exports and demand and I just think soon, you know, South America weather, got to throw that in there, of course. But I got to believe soon we'll, all we'll be able to talk about is acres and then yield, and um, that usually gets to be a lot more volatile, which mm-hmm. most of the time, eight times out of ten, that's going to drive better opportunities.
0: Very true. Well, and, and to your point on acres, I think that's great you brought that up. As I know you guys are right in the heart of the core belt there, northern Iowa, southern Minnesota area obviously thinking about what those spring acres are going to look like here. We've started to hear some private estimate surveys of maybe there's going to be a few more wheat acres in some parts of the country, you know, looking at fertilizer prices. What are we going to see? Core beans, you know, kind of hovering, you know, about equal ish when it comes to acreage for the spring. I think the next 30 to 60 days, Jeff, and I mean, you could agree or argue with me on this point, but, it's going to be very critical as we start to really nail down some final decisions for spring planting here across the Corn Belt, Jeff.
3: Yeah, absolutely. That's going to be a discussion. I um, mean, we've seen some estimates come out. We're talking, you know, 90 to 91 million acres on corn. I've kind of been seeing some of that on um, mm-hmm. both sides of there. Uh, and plus add a little bit beans and, and the wheat like you're talking. I think that's all doable. Um, higher prices usually drive some better production. Um you know, obviously, we're going to be looking at doing some double crop acres on on winter wheat and going on to beans, of course. So I think that all works. You know, fertilizer prices have really been dropping out of bed here, but what we're experiencing, um, there's not as many folks that can capture that as what you would think. And I, and I know we're talking. There's two points here I want to make. One is dropping fertilizer, it's not like the next day everybody's cost is dropping, right? We've all already made decisions and, and made some beds that we're going to have to lie in from a fertilizer standpoint. Um, and, and then on the retail front, you know, those folks have some positions also that they're kind of reluctant to, to give up. Um, so there there are, will be some producers that are able to take care of and take advantage of some of the cheaper fertilizer. A lot of that's already in made. Now, Mm -hmm. we're talking about the marginal acres we're talking about the two percent right so yes I think it's still going to have an impact it's just not a a one-for-one ratio type of thing if that makes um, any sort of sense as far as that acre discussion so I I personally don't have a lot of argument with the acres that people are talking about Mm -hmm. Um, you know we keep coming back to big picture stuff here and and a few of the things that we're thinking about is all right what's the right corn demand you know last year you were two four and some change on exports um i think you're two seven don't quote me on these you guys mm-hmm. you probably got a whole host of fact checkers in the background there but um <laughs> i think the i think the year before we were two seven when china was buying some stuff um and buying quite a bit of stuff and this year of course one nine um in my mind that's got to bounce back some but it's not it's gonna we got a few things working against us. One, it's showing through history it takes a little bit of time to buy back into some of these markets. Mm-hmm. We got a short supply, we have high prices, it's not just gonna come back on day one. So I'm I'm not a huge export fan right now, but I think you know, as you think about acres for next year and you think about what's the baseline demand, how many acres do we need? Um I think you dial in something higher than this year's demand, but less than maybe what we've seen the past couple of years.
0: Well, and again, we're having a conversation with Jeff Hogadorn with Professional Ag Marketing here today on Market Talk. We're gonna continue that conversation with Jeff coming up after the break. We're gonna dive into the livestock markets some more. I know Jeff's a cattle guy. We're gonna to try to get some thoughts of his uh, in the cattle trade and in the hog markets as well. Coming up here after the break. Before we do that, though, a few of the closes on Friday. March court up a half penny, six eighty-three. July cord down two and a quarter, six sixty-five at three-quarters. New crop December chord was down. Down two and three quarters. at a quarter. March beans, 14 lower, 15.09 and a half. July down 8.5, 14.96. New crop November beans down 1 and a quarter, 13.51 at a quarter. Soybean meal for March down 360 a ton, 4.73.50. March bean oil down 17 points at 60.62. March Chicago wheat, 2.5 lower, 7.50. July down 2.5 at 7.60. March Kansas City wheat up 4.5, 8.69 and a quarter. July up 4.5 at 8.53 and a quarter. March spring wheat was up 3.5, July 2 higher at 9.06. Oats for March 2 higher, 3.88 and a quarter on Friday as well. We'll look at livestock closes and continue our combo with Jeff Hogan Professional Professional Lang Marketing coming up after the break. Back with more Market Talk right after this.
1: Why are more people heating their homes with FS Propane? Because it's better to work with a company that lives and works in the same community that you do. When it comes to the comfort of your family, trust FS. We have highly trained service professionals who monitor your system for proper operation, safety, and maximum efficiency so you can be sure that FS Propane will leave your family with a good, warm feeling all season long. Contact your local FS Propane specialist today. FS Propane feels like home. Visit fspropane.com for more information. Market information that
0: matters to you
1: on Market Talk. Now back to Jesse Allen.
0: And welcome back to Market Talk. Jesse Allen with you here. A couple of the closes in the livestock trade from Friday, February live cattle unchanged, 156.72. April up 30, 160.82. June live cattle up 40, 157.77. March feeder cattle up 62, 183.47. April feeders were up 55 at 187.55. And in hogs, February down 115, 75.87. April hogs down 55, 86.45. And hogs for May, seven higher at 94.92. Let's get back to our conversation with our guest today, Jeff Hoganor with Professional Ag Marketing joining us here on the show. And Jeff Let's uh, let's shift our focus to livestock. I know you are a livestock guy, and cattle and hog markets both been interesting to watch. Wrapping up the week Friday, that cattle market was relatively firm. I know it's been a a tough road uh, this past week to get cash cattle trade happening, and. I know a lot of folks are in the trade, are, are still very bullish, this cattle market. So I think just to start, your thoughts there, what is your outlook picture in this cattle market here as we're getting close to wrapping up the month of January? Are you are you in the bull camp? Are you in the bear camp? Where are you sitting right now?
3: Yeah, and, and where do we start? There's a lot of things going on in that world right now. And, you know, one thing you either love or hate, or and actually probably – you love and hate it just depends on uh, what day it is about the cattle industry <laughs> is it's so dynamic and so flexible. And the people that have been listening to me the last couple of years, you know, they hear me use that excuse over and over um, because yeah, we have been waiting for smaller numbers to come down the pipeline here. Um, and we've been waiting for them for over a year, for sure, probably a year and a half. And and there's continued events um, that that continue to take place um, that push those shorter numbers right beyond our grasp. Right. And (laughs) I think we're seeing another one now. I'm getting very concerned um, about this current weather that we're in. So another very interesting thing, most weather markets, it would be a couple weeks of a, of a very willing seller from a feedlot standpoint, right. As he tries to get rid of these big cattle that he's sick of looking at, Um, And then after that, pretty explosive as you get into smaller cattle, cattle aren't growing, um, cattle aren't quite ready yet. But today's feed costs make the situation quite a bit different. Um, And we're just we're gotten ourselves into another round of willing sellers here in the short term. And I don't know how deep that is. I'm, uh, I'm I'm concerned that it's a little deeper than what I was hoping a week or two ago. Um, now all of this stuff just continues to make our big picture supply situation more bullish, Mm -hmm. right? So someday, yeah, we're going to have a very exciting market and it's going to be a lot of fun to be a cattle feeder. Um, I would say most (laughs) cattle feeders would not agree with that right now. It's been a tough, tough sledding, but it's yeah. Long-term, I, I like the supply situation for sure. Well, and
0: you mentioned feed costs in there as well. And I you know, I have to imagine we see some of that ebb and flow if it's a quiet news day, if, if corn goes higher or even wheat goes higher. I know some wheat's been making it into the feed bunks. You know, cattle might move lower if there's nothing else to really trade on. And, you know, looking at some of those margins, uh, I, to your point, I know it's it's tough out there right now with, you know, you got 6 $7 corn. I, you know, sometimes that doesn't pencil out the way you want it to pencil out, Jeff.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But, you know, another report that's going to be really interesting is the uh, total inventory cow Mm -hmm. and calf uh, calves report next Tuesday. Um, Man, I've seen some pretty interesting estimates coming out on that, you know, four, four and a half percent less uh, cows again this year versus last. Boy, a year ago, if you had told me that, I would have said, you know, no way. But here again, you've got weather, you've got feed cost. And the other thing that we haven't talked about that's a big deal in the cattle world is interest cost. You got 2000 bucks wrapped up in whatever critter you've got around whether it's a mama cow or or a fat steer, um that's real money on a cost of buck production or, or cost per head per year. Um so and we so it, the proof is is there. We have continued to kill an elevated allot, a, a allotment of cows all season long here all through 2022 so I'm absolutely thinking we're two and a half percent lower on the cow herd um Mm -hmm. if we come in at four percent I wouldn't be surprised um but that puts us right back on our lowest levels ever for a cow herd um so that's back to 2014 and that was a very fiery market when you finally got those calves through the system and the lower supplies were realized
0: very, very true. Well, and, and another thought, I will throw this at you as well to help us maybe, you know, segue talk a little bit about the hog market too. I've I've talked to some folks and I, I've thrown out this idea, you know, we see that spread between cattle and hogs getting pretty wide. And, you know, this hog market been struggling, trying to find a bottom. I wonder how much has the hog market in itself been an anchor on this cattle market overall? Jeff, what do you think about that?
3: Well, I think, uh, I don't know if the cattle mark, if the hog market has been an anchor on the cattle or not. I mean, I mean, we've been, we continue to wait for that to, to take place. Um, it's so I'm, I'm sure it's, I'm sure it's affecting it in, in the background for sure, but they've been, it's amazing how well they've been able to divorce themselves. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you were trading that spread, which fortunately I, I'm not brave enough to do that, but. There's no way you would get it to these levels, right? You'd have been, you'd have been short that thing a long time ago. So that's, that's been incredibly interesting all by itself. Um, I would, another thing that between the two that we've been watching is retail prices. And I think that is, that could very possibly be the next story here as those Mm -hmm. two impact the, the hog versus the cattle. So, you know, you talk about that spread being so wide today, we might be seeing it's, its widest point. And the reason why it might not be on the supply side of the thing, it might be on the retail prices. So, what we're starting to see is beef prices are coming down off crazy high levels, right? One thing we learned in the past three years is when people stay home, they eat beef. That's the first thing they go buy. And so, even like last summer, you know, we saw some extremely high beef prices. Um, and I think that started dragging up the corn, excuse me, the hog retail prices. Mm -hmm. Now, now as we've tipped over the beef prices, we've continued to increase pork retail prices. Um, so now you've, you're starting to look at a very different relationship at the retail shelf, um, and a very different relationship in the margin between the, uh, cut-out reports that we see and what the consumers get in charge for stuff. I mean, that retail margin on pork is just astronomical.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, so I think you're going to – I can't help but believe you're going to see um, featuring come through on the pork side. They like to do that January, February anyhow. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you're going to maybe see some price drops starting to take place from a bigger picture. I think that's going to be a little bit of tough – go for the uh, cattle market here in a time of year where it kind of struggles anyhow. For, and I'm talking box beef now, not, not the supply side, right? Those mm-hmm. two different stories. Um, so I think the hogs are going to probably put up a fight here against the cattle from a, you know, product value standpoint
0: a lot of great thoughts there a lot of things to consider and you know jeff as we're getting close to wrapping things up here today on the show i just uh i'll kind of turn it back to you and open up the floor and we've covered a lot but any risk management thoughts anything that you want to make sure you really reiterate to uh, to folks listening in i'll I'll let you choose whether it's on the grain or the livestock side but just any any thoughts in general some yeah. risk management things that people need to be thinking about right now
3: well i i my my advice is uh I think all of these markets are in a fairly optimistic position. So you look at the big picture balance sheets. You look at the, on the grain and on the soybeans, or on the corn and the soybeans I'm talking about. You look at the supply situation. We know we've got some demand, potential demand issues, like we kind of, you know, faded to here in this discussion, um, you know, on the cattle side, but you can't ignore that supply side. Uh, on the hogs, we still believe there's a couple percent less hogs out there. Um, that's not showing up today, quite the opposite. But, you know, from a big picture standpoint, I think all of these four major commodities are still in a pretty optimistic position as far as their cycles go, big picture cycles. So for me, what that says, you don't have to be chasing lower markets. You st- you can pick your targets They can be Targets that make really good sense for your business. Um, Make sure you've got some margin in this stuff. Pick your targets and be disciplined. Um, The seasonals are still true, especially on the grains. So get your plan together. Don't get, you know, tied up and, well, shoot, this cattle market's just a dog. We can't get any legs underneath us. Um, (laughs) I better get some hedges on just because I have to. I don't think we're in that situation in any of the markets. Um, I think you can be more optimistic than that.
0: Great stuff to wrap up on. Jeff, I know if folks have questions, need some marketing advice, they can reach out to you and the uh, team there at Professional Ag Marketing. I'm sure a phone call online. What's the best ways to get in touch with you guys?
3: Yep, that'd be the two best place anytime. Of course, professionalagmarketing.com uh, on the line. You've got a uh, phone number over here in the Laverne, Minnesota office, 507 449 Three, zero. Fantastic. And again, the website,
0: professionalagmarketing.com. Jeff Hogadorn with Professional Ag Marketing, a pleasure to have you on the show, sir. We'll have to get you back on again soon. Thanks
3: so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. You bet.
0: Man, great stuff. Again, Jeff Hogadorn with Professional Ag Marketing joining us here today on Market Talk. Appreciate uh, his time here joining us for the first time on the show. Coming up next, we're going to talk about some of the news headlines in agriculture as we wrap things up, including what is driving egg prices higher, according to American Farm Beer Federation economist Barrett Nelson. We'll get to that and more coming up after the break. Back with more market talk right after this.
1: Market information that matters to you on Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen.
0: And welcome back to Market Talk. Thanks again to Jeff hogan with Professional Ag Marketing for joining us here today, his first time on Market Talk. Great insight, great thoughts, and appreciate his time and analysis. Let's take a look at a few news headlines here at Agriculture before we wrap up the show today. And... The, uh, there's a lot of talk around egg prices. They're going up and up and up at the grocery store. Well, highly pathogenic avian influenza is causing a short supply of eggs, leading to higher prices for consumers. At least that is what a lot of people are saying, according to the American Farm Bill Federation and their economist, Barrett Nelson, the key factor is inventory of laying hens.
4: Avian influenza has really affected now just over 58 million birds since it began about a year ago in February of 2022. Egg prices have skyrocketed recently with the national averages up right around 49% from last year. So consumers have been paying in some cases nearly double what they had in past years. So what's causing the rise in egg prices? Really the decreased layer inventory due to avian influenza, that's the primary factor.
0: And egg demand is projected to increase 7% this year. So to lower egg prices, Nelson says supplies would need to move higher.
4: What would have to happen for a slowdown in prices to occur would be a slowdown in the outbreaks of avian influenza. So what we'll really be watching for is a slowdown in avian influenza going into the spring months so that the inventory has some time to rebuild. That would be most helpful in keeping prices down.
0: For poultry farmers, Nelson says they are also facing increased production costs.
4: These outbreaks have been devastating. When we talk about an outbreak occurring on a farm where you're faced with the risk of depopulation, that combined with the effects of increased input costs, and that really increases break-even prices, especially when we think about covering our cost of production.
0: And again, that is American Farm Bureau Federation economist Barron Nelson. Well, every January, Farm Futures releases a survey of planting intentions for the upcoming spring. Jacqueline Holland is a great market analyst with Farm Futures, and she talks about their 2023 survey results.
5: We found that the larger wheat crop expected will probably put a ceiling on corn and soybean acres in 2023, but also that high input prices are also a limiting factor for corn and soybean production as well. For corn, we're looking at 90.5 million acres. For soybeans, that's 88.9 million acres. Winter wheat, we calculated 34.9 million acres. And spring wheat, which includes hard red spring, white spring wheat, and durum wheat, that number we're looking at 13.9 million acres. So a total of 228.3 million acres for all three principal crops.
0: Holland says their wheat number was somewhat unexpected.
5: I was a little surprised when our numbers came in a little bit lower than USCA's winter wheat calculation at the beginning of January. However, if you go back and look at Chicago winter wheat futures prices during peak planting season last October, they were 25% higher than a year ago. And at that time, input costs for corn and soybeans were still on the uptick. So that isn't exactly a surprise and when you go back and look at some of the outside factors impacting these crop markets but I think what was even more surprising was just how narrow the gap was between corn and soybean acres for next
0: year. And a lot of the respondents already had their spring plans in place before 2023.
5: 70 percent of our growers said that they had already locked in their rotations for the upcoming year and really weren't expecting to make any last minute changes. I think that growers who are outside of the traditional corn soybean states, like in the Eastern Corn Belt, in the I states, I think those are areas where there is a little bit more flexibility with rotations. And I think in those areas, I think small grains are going to probably be a little bit more competitive with corn and soybean returns, especially if input costs are a constraint in those areas
0: and holland says their estimates are showing the potential for a very large soybean crop
5: i use slightly different trend line yields than some of usda's baseline calculations in our estimates i found that even with 88.9 million acres planted of soybeans that that would Still generate a record large U.S. soybean crop. And I think if that's the case, I think we could maybe see some of the supply pressures that we've seen really weigh on these commodity markets. I think we could see that ease back a little
0: bit. Again, that's Jacqueline Holland of Farm Futures. Well, state and regional cattle groups along with the National Cattlemen's Beef Association are suing the Biden administration over the Lesser Prairie Chicken Endangered Species Listing Proposal. NCBA Associate Director for Governmental Affairs Seeger Johans, says the proposal will create complications for the beef industry.
6: First and foremost, the numbers of Lesser Prairie chickens that are out there thriving on rangeland at every different life stage that they go through are thriving in pasture, in the same sort of rangelands and, you know, varying uh, varying diverse grasslands that are cultivated by cattle producers. They don't live in cropland, you know, they don't live in those very uniform grasslands. They gravitate to the areas where cattle producers are actively working to, you know, to cultivate a, a profile of vegetation that's beneficial beneficial not just to livestock but to the lesser prairie chicken and, and a great many other wildlife species.
0: NCBA is also concerned, Johan says, with the way the listing was written and the dangerous precedent that this listing could set for other bird species such as the sage grouse
6: we think this line between the northern distinct population segment and the southern distinct population segment is pretty arbitrary. There's not a whole lot of genomic or geospatial evidence to support the division of those two groups of birds. And second of all, the 4D rule that's been written for that northern DPS is hugely overreaching and really poses a lot of concerns for us about the power that fish and wildlife is giving away to third parties to oversee the way that private landowners graze on their ranches in those in those states
0: again that's ncba associate director for governmental affairs secret Johans. hans and speaking of ncba coming up here this next week we will be in new orleans for the cattle industry convention and ncba trade show looking forward to our coverage from the big easy that's gonna do it for market talk today thanks so much for joining us i'm your host jesse allen have a fantastic rest of your day
1: Why are more people heating their homes with FS Propane? Because it's better to work with a company that lives and works in the same community that you do. When it comes to the comfort of your family, trust FS. We have highly trained service professionals who monitor your system for proper operation, safety, and maximum efficiency so you can be sure that FS Propane will leave your family with a good, warm feeling all season long. Contact your local FS Propane specialist today. FS Propane feels like home. Visit fspropane.com for more information.